Welcome, Huda Thunkers, who to the second Fright Fest episode of 2021. Every single episode this month will be within the realm of terrifying. But before we get into the main event, I know how much you're looking forward to it. Let's do this week's recommendation segment. Now, there's a little-known movie that came out in 2009 called Pandorum. It is a British-German science fiction horror film with elements of Lovecraftian horror and survival adventure. Starring Ben Foster and Dennis Quaid with supporting actors like Norman Reedus, this movie blew my mind when I first saw it. There is a space, there is space, mental instability, and like Cube, the movie I recommended last week, it has some very claustrophobic feels to it. And I know I can say this without spoiling anything because you'll never guess what it is, but there's a major twist at the end that will make you think about this movie long after it is over. Why have you never heard of it? Well, because it lost money. It had a $33 million budget and didn't make it, didn't make um, even $21 million in the box office sales. But like I always say, just because the masses didn't pay for it doesn't mean it it was a bad movie. Um, movies like Children of Men, Blade Runner 2049, The BFG, Citizen Kane, Event Horizon, Fight Club, The Iron Giant, Shawshank Redemption, and Willy Wonka all did poorly in the box office sales. And I can honestly say I love every single one of those movies. Remember the next time you judge a movie or any form of story based on how much commercial success it achieved. That does not tell how much money it made does not tell you how good of a story it is. Okay. Make that up for your own self, for your own self. Now for the main event, this episode is episode 81 of the Huda Thunkit podcast titled the beautiful ones. And now, all right, Huda Thunkers, you survived last week's Fright Fest topic of killer lakes and their limnic eruptions. But can you survive this week's episode on rats? I know there are people like my mother who hate rodents, so this is about mouse utopia. This is a possible bleak look into our own future. This is Universe 25. In the mid-20th century, a science experiment was conducted on mice and rats to try and gain a deeper understanding of the possible consequences of humanity's then, and still, rapidly growing population across the globe. The experiments were conducted, and then the results were published in the Scientific America Journal, which is pretty widely respected journal. These reports terrified the masses into thinking the world would become overpopulated and we humans would turn out just like the rodents. But of course that didn't happen. Or did it? Strap in, Huda Thunkers. This is going to be a wild one. Oh, and if you are a member of PETA or if you, uh, or if experimenting on animals bothers you, maybe sit this one out. But spoiler alert, things don't go so well for the rodents. <laughs> and they don't. Now, what motivated such experiments? Well... That can be answered by some quick history, and like most history, this is about some old dead white dudes, starting with Thomas Robert Malthus. Malthus was an English cleric, scholar, and influential economist in the fields of political economy and uh, demogra demography, de demographics during the late 18th and early 19th century. Malthus said the human population might increase exponentially, but the that our food will only increase linearly, linearly, aka we're gonna run out of food, which would lead to massive food shortage, and this crisis was called a Malthusian catastrophe. This specific fear surrounding humanity's overpopulation permeated the mainstream medias over the decades. There have been popular stories of overcrowding, degrading our society through the centuries, tons of books and movies. So by the 1950s and 60s, research was done to determine what problems might arise from overpopulation. Introducing John B. Calhoun. 
another dead white dude. John Bumpus Calhoun. I heard he went by John B. Calhoun, and well, uh, with a middle name like Bumpus, you, can you really blame him? Calhoun was an American ethologist and behavioral researcher. Noted for his studies of population density and its effects on behavior, he claimed that the bleak effects of overpopulation on rodents were a grim model for the future of the human race. His experiments started as rats becoming contained in an outdoor pen. Then in the 1960s, graduated, uh, graduated mice being kept in a large pen at the National Institute of Mental Health, NIH, during the 1960s. The public uh, kind of freaked out over the Scientific America's reports on the experiments. A lot of people interpreted them as evidence of what we humans would become in the future if our population continued to grow at our exponential rate. During the, his experiments, Calhoun coined a few of his own terms. One such term you'll hear, behavioral sinks, is what he used to name the catastrophic behaviors of the mice that led to their own doom. One of these experiments was dubbed Universe 25 because it was Calhoun's 25th attempt. Side note, one of the reasons why Calhoun did so many experiments is because he tried making minor adjustments, such as using powdered food versus pellet food, and in the enclosure he made the, the means with which the rodents got around longer um, to get around, stuff like that. So he, he altered some minor things every once in a while. He built what he thought was a mouse paradise with beautiful buildings and limitless food. He introduced eight mice to the population. Two years later, the mice had created their own apocalypse and were all dead. Universe 25, the actual physical experiment, was made up of a big old box designed to be a rodent utopia. They couldn't escape from it, but they had plenty of room for them to get around. It was divided into main squares, subdivided into levels, and used ramps that went to different rodent apartments. The rodents always had plenty of food, like unlimited food. They never ran out. The pen was 2.7 square meter enclosure and consisting of four pens, 256 living compartments, and 16 burrows that led to food and water supplies. There was tons of food, no predators, no chance of a plague or anything. So the mice were given all the luxuries of our human life, but applied in rodent form. For the first 104 days, Calhoun labeled the different phases of his experiment and the first 104 days he called the strive period this is when mice stretched their legs explored marked their territory and nestled in next was the exploit period where the mice population doubled every 55 days by day 315 universe 25 had a population of 620 so we're from started at eight now we're at 620 this is when Calhoun noticed something peculiar. The enclosure could hold up to 3,000 mice, and each compartment, or apartment, as Calhoun called them, um, like he really tried to apply it to human levels, apartment for mice, um, could hold, each apartment could hold 15 mice. However, it seemed that eating was a communal event. It looked as if the mice preferred to crowd into certain areas and eat from the same feeding source instead of nesting in their own apartments. For whatever reason, the same time the crowding together started to happen, so did a drop in mating. The birth rate in Universe 25 fell to a third of where it was in the beginning of the experiment, and there were some weird social, weird social stuff going on. One third emerged as socially dominant, and the other two thirds turned out less socially adept than their forebearers. As bonding skills diminished among the mice, Universe 25 went into a slow but irreversible decline. By day 315, there was a bigger gap between the high and low status male mice. The lowest status males, known as omega males, 
were rejected from females and stopped mating completely. These outcast males left the large groups to be by themselves. They ate and slept alone and occasionally fought each other. The high-status males got meaner and fought a lot more often, usually with no apparent reason. These high-status or alpha males would even go around and pen indiscriminately raping other mice regardless of their gender. I'll be honest, at this point in researching this... <laughs> I was thinking just how observant was Calhoun and his staff. Uh, these guys have about, or no, these guys know about mice motivations and statuses. I believe it's because similar kinds, I believe that they did do this because similar kinds of observations are done on all kinds of other animal species. But I can't imagine the toil of just watching hundreds or thousands of mice trying to remember their social statuses or the last time they ate a uh, mate or even took a crap. I mean, how does one know? if a mice is being raped. I don't actually want to know the logistics of that. Um, that'd be horrifying. I'm just saying it is wild that those logistics exist at all. You know that if they were making notes of these mice rapes, how many and whatever, they, they that there exists somewhere a scientific definition on how to spot a mice rape apart from a regular, a regular uh, mating ritual. It's mind-boggling to me. So, the class of males between the alphas and the omegas known as beta males, were just picked on all the time. They weren't shunned from the larger groups like the omegas, but they weren't at the top of the pe pecking order, so they just took a lot of mouse aggression. Um, and here's a quote. You know, they just sat around. So you have the alpha males. This is I've heard this is similar to how wolves do it, too. You have the alpha males, the ones at the top. They do whatever the heck they want. They're super aggressive. Then you have the beta males in between, and the omega males are like outcasts, not even part of the equation. And the out, you know, the beta males are just taking all the aggression, super passive. You have the omega males that are just completely socially inept out of the picture and they fight each other probably just because they have nothing else to do. And then the alpha males are going around raping both male and female mice for no apparent reason and fighting f like to the death with mice. It's, it's a bloodbath. Here's a quote from one of the articles I read, quote, in several instances, bloodbath ended with a cannibalistic feast for the victors. So if you win, yay, prize, you get to eat everyone you just killed. That's, that's like, that's nuts. That's like Jeffrey Dahmer mice here. That's what Calhoun was making. And if all that mouse raping and cannibalizing wasn't bad enough, at this point, the infant mortality rate hit 90%. All of their young, almost all of their young were dying. With the males morphing into a hellscape of social hierarchy they stopped playing out their usual roles and the females had to protect their nests alone these females became more aggressive and horrifyingly enough this aggression spilled over to their own young other females just didn't care for their offspring at all they abandoned their young and banished them um, there were entire litters left to fend for themselves of young these derelict babies as you can imagine didn't do so well they didn't make it and for whatever reason their mothers rarely ever made it again so they just stopped mating calhoun named this pleasant little part of the experiment the stagnation phase alternately known as the equilibrium period uh, referencing the equilibrium of over aggressive mice to super passive mice not equilibrium as everything's good and equal no equilibrium as like one side levels out the other side terribly aggressive and evil mice cannibalizing raping evil mice to super passive and just let it go mice he attributed the overly aggressive and passive behavior patterns to the breakdown of social roles and rampant over clustering by the 560th day the population 
increase stopped altogether and the mortality rate was at about 100%. Everyone was dying. This marked the start of what was called the death phase, or just as cheerful of a name, the die period. Um, <laughs> crazy. This is when the rodent utopia slid toward extinction. And, you know, from what I just read about all the raping and killing and cannibalizing, uh, maybe extinction was kind of a good thing. Holy hell. Uh, you see, with all the violent raping and cannibalistic murdering going on, uh, the latest generation of youngster mice were raised without being taught how to act like mice, like normal mice. They didn't know how to act like healthy mice with healthy mice relations. Mice relations. They didn't know how to properly mate, parent, or mark their territory or any of that stuff. All they did was eat, drink, sleep, and groom themselves. They didn't they didn't populate or anything. These mice were known as known by Calhoun as the beautiful ones. Which I thought was such an eerie name. It's, they were called the beautiful ones because they didn't have scars on their coats from battling it out. They kept away from all that stuff. The beautiful ones sounds like one of the something straight out of a horror movie shit. You know, it's crazy, and that it, it really was. They're the bri- they're the byproduct of this hellish nightmare of a mice si- my, mouse society, and now they have this awesome name given by the guy who created it. They're overseeing overlord Calhoun, the beautiful ones. Although the beautiful ones were spared the violence of the larger crowds, they didn't contribute anything either at all. They were like little hedonistic mice that just lived in seclusion from the other mice away from the violent crowded areas. They just went to those empty apartments or compartments and just ate the unlimited food and drank the unlimited water and there you go. According to Calhoun, the death phase consisted of two stages. The first death and the second death. Pretty simple. The former was characterized by the loss of purpose in life beyond mere existence, but the report said they noted the mice had no desire to mate, raise young, or establish a role within society. This first death was represented by the lackadaisical lives of the beautiful ones, whereas the second death was marked by the literal end of life and the extinction of Universe 25. Notes towards the end here Using the beautiful ones as a reference, Calhoun surmised that mice, as humans, thrive on a sense of identity and purpose within the world at large. He argued experiences such as tension, stress, anxiety, and the need to survive make it necessary to engage in society. Basically, we struggle to survive just like mice. We need struggle. When all needs are accounted for and no conflict exists, The act of living is stripped to its barest physiological essentials of food and sleep. In Calhoun's view, herein, the paradox of life without work or conflict. When all sense of necessity is stripped from the life of an individual, life ceases to have purpose. The individual dies in spirit. So, his theory, the beautiful ones didn't even have a spirit. They had no reason. They just ate because of some instinct. Gradually, the mice that refused to mate or engage in society came to outnumber those that formed gangs, raped, and plundered, and fed off their own. The last known conception in Universe 25 occurred on day, or conception, occurred on day 920. So the last birth in this place was on day 920, at which point the population was capped at 2,200, well short of the enclosure's 3,000 capacity. So they had room to grow more, but they just didn't. An endless supply of food, water, and other resources were still there for the mice, but it didn't matter. The behavior sink 
had set in, and there was no stopping Universe 25 from careening to its self-made demise. Soon enough, there was not a single living mouse left in the enclosure. Now, there was a bit of an attempt at redemption. After all that, they tried. Before the rodent utopia imploded entirely, Calhoun did remove some of the beautiful ones to see whether they would live more productive lives if released into a new society free of social strife and carnage, placing these mice in a fresh setting with few pre-existing residents, a scenario similar to that which greeted the initial pairs placed in Universe 25, he expected the beautiful ones to awake from their uh, asocial haze and answer nature's call to populate the barren environment. However, that didn't happen. The relocated mice showed no signs of change from their earlier behavior patterns. Why change if they can just eat, sleep, and groom? Refusing to mate or even interact among their new peers, the reclusive mice eventually died of natural causes, and the fledgling society folded without a single new birth. In Calhoun's view, the rise and fall of Universe 25 proved five basic points about mice, as well as humans. The mouse is a simple creature, but it must develop the skills for courtship, child-rearing, ter territorial defense, and personal role fulfillment on the domestic and communal front. If such skills fail to develop, the individual will neither reproduce nor find a productive role within society. 2. As within mice, all species will grow older and gradually die out. There is nothing to suggest human society isn't prone to the same developments that led to the demise of Universe 25. He's drawing a great, a one-on-one -a -one -on -one conclusion. These mice died, we're going to die. There's a good chance. Number three, if the number of qualified individuals exceeds the number of openings in society, chaos and alienation will be the inevitable outcomes. Number four, individuals raised under the latter conditions will lack any relation to the real world. Physiological fulfillment will be their only drive in life. Let's talk about the beautiful ones there. And number five, just as mice thrive on a set of complex behaviors, the concern for others developed in post-industrial human skills and understandings is vital to man's continuance, continuance <laughs> as a species. The loss of these attributes within a civilization could lead to its collapse. Dude is very apocalyptic in his predictions. Now here's some criticisms. If that scared the living shit out of you, you're not alone. It scared the living shit out of baby boomers in the 70s and 80s when Scientific America published it. People were freaking out. There's tons of books and movies about it. People were like, what the hell? This dude and his mice are going to predict the end of all mankind. It was freaking people out. But nowadays, people aren't so sure. There are some criticisms. Nowadays, the scientific community seems to be less fearful of Calhoun's experiments and their implications. John B. Calhoun, John Bumpus Calhoun, remember that. If, any, if, you, if it's getting too bleak for you, remember this guy's middle name is Bumpus. John B. Calhoun isn't a rodent himself. So some people think he got it wrong. You know, he thought it was a utopia, but that's how humans do it. Okay, he also had designed quite a few mouse environments before he got to Universe 25th, Universe 25. This is his 25th experiment and didn't expect to be watching a happy story play out. He was expecting it to go bad. So maybe subconsciously he did things to make it go bad. He wanted it to go bad. You know, that's part of um, some one of the bad downfalls of research. The researcher, the scientist, no matter how like neutral he wants to be when he's doing his experiment, subconsciously, if, the, if it's possible, he might lean it towards his 
the outcome he wants as opposed to just finding out the most neutral outcome. The general consensus now is that the habitats that Calhoun created were not actually overcrowded. It is the isolation factor that fostered their hyperaggression among the rodents. They were forced to fight over territory, and this led to the isolation of the beautiful ones. Behavioral scientists today don't think it was an overcrowded problem, but a fairness distribution problem. And then national... Then the uh, National Institute of Mental Health's Edmund Ramsden did say this. Ultimately, rats may suffer from crowding. Human beings can cope. Um, Calhoun's research was seen not only as questionable, but also as dangerous. And, you know, that's from the National Institute of Health, uh, Mental Health. That's one of the people that gave him this research. That's the one that people that, that funded Calhoun. And now they're coming and saying, like, hey, uh, we don't know. I mean, it great experimenting got a lot of headlines but i don't know if you want to apply it to humans that quickly uh, because rats may not be able to do this humans obviously can we have cities all over the place another researcher jonathan friedman said uh, turning to studying actual people they were just high school and you know he did he, he turned to studying actual people so he did this with with people and he used university students and high school students but definitely human um his because i don't know of any other species that goes to high school or university um, but his work suggested a different interpretation moral decay could arise quote not from destiny but from excessive social interaction not all of calhoun's rats had gone berserk those who managed to control space led relatively normal lives so they were super crowded and so like what um, Edmund Ramsden saying is rats can't handle the crowding. They were super social with each other all the time, but humans are different. Humans have a lot more complex uh, vocabulary, a lot more complex language, and maybe we can cope being super close to each other all the time. Um, we ride on subway buses all the time. Tons and tons of people cram into subway buses all the time. And I know a lot of shit does go down on subways um, and trains and public transportation, but not nearly as much as it could. You know what I mean? That's so many people crammed in together all the time. And most of the time when you're in public transit, you know what happens? People just stand there quiet and the, they, with a general don't bother me a look and demeanor. Okay. So it's a little bit different. You can't, here's my skepticism. Here's my criticism of it. Um, it comes from how far-fetched Calhoun's conclusions are. I, I was already saying it, but the man's research claimed to know when a mouse had a lack of purpose. Are you freaking kidding me? I don't care how many behaviors you cite to back up your hypothesis. I'm always going to have trouble believing a person, any person, thinks they, that they've cracked the code to mouse psychology, knowing that he no longer has a sense of purpose. You can see, you can draw some conclusions, um, but correlation doesn't equal causation. Just because all these things are saying, you know, the mice now longer have a sense of purpose. Did they ever? I mean, that's a very deep philosophical question, and I don't think uh, John Bumpus Calhoun was the one that cracked this very, very difficult ethical question of, or, or philosophical question, are mice conscious? And if they are, do they need a sense of purpose? Like that's, he, he bit off. I mean, his conclusions were way too bigger, way much bigger than he thought they were. Like he went way too far with it. And I agree with Edmund Ramsden when he said Calhoun's research was dangerous. Don't get me wrong. I think the experiments that he did gave did give a lot of interesting insight into social interactions. And I thought, you know, you know, other than the ethical question of how awful these lives, these mice were, it'd be cool to do an experiment like that. I wouldn't want to see them killing and raping each other in bloody 
cannibalistic bloodbaths, but it would be cool to do that. Maybe in a video game like a simulation where real lives aren't at stake, maybe just AI, but I, I get it. It's a cool experiment, but it is not a one-to-one ratio from rodent to, rodents to humans. We are very different creatures. Um, we do have similarities, and like, like I said, there's benefits of doing those experiments, but not one-to-one. And I think this research conclusions were dangerous. Calhoun's predictions of the human race based on his rodent experiments were almost fear-mongering to a population of baby boomers at the time, just starting to grow up and see all the riots and sinful way of life in the cities. And he was just feeding into that, like, oh, this is awful. Go back to farming. My chief criticism was how Calhoun basically played God over this small community of rodents and watched as they violently raped and ate each other, okay? I mean... I know the rodents. It's, it's not like he was doing it with puppies. But, you know, is ethically, we got to say, if you're going to do it to one, why not the other? I, I, it's weird how humans view animals. You know, here in America, we hate the idea of going whaling and killing whales, yet we kill cows and chickens. Anyway, I'm getting into a whole different conversation. What I'm saying is he played God and he just watched this shit happen for years, like years of rape and murder. It's a little bit different than killing something to eat it and, and like, fostering a community of of rape and cannibalistic bloodbaths it's kind of they're different um now i would have hard time just sitting there myself and watching sitting back and watching these living creatures do this to each other all while knowing it was my literal grand design that they do so it just gives me the heebie-jeebies so that's my biggest criticism it is terrifying, but there are some people going against it. I don't know. If you want to talk about, if you want to draw conclusions, you want to say how the next generation, all this craziness, came, created a generation of the beautiful ones that just sat back, didn't care. Uh, you can look at my generation, the millennials, or the Gen Zers. Um, how <laughs> a lot of the time, if there's a giant catastrophe, we don't freak out. We just sort of get our phones out and do it for the do it for the gram, you know. Uh, maybe my generation and, and my little brothers, the Gen Zers, maybe we're the beautiful ones and maybe our apocalypse is nigh. I don't know. Um, but like I said, we're not rodents. We're people. We're different. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers, to the second Fright Fest episode of the year. Hope you enjoyed the episode. A few episodes back, I said I would be making the material a bit more mature since zero of my listeners are minors, so why not? And I wanted to. And I finally kept my word, seeing as this episode had the most mature talking point so far, that being rat rape. <laughs> I know. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. If I offended anyone, I did warn you. And sometimes learning more about the world does include some vile ass shit, you know? So hope you liked it. Special shout out to my mother who absolutely hates rodents and does not enjoy horror movies or stories at all, <laughs> but undoubtedly still tuned in anyway because she's my mom and my biggest fan. Um, and she didn't just listen to the podcast. She reads the blogs. She saw all these pictures of rats <laughs> that she hates. So love you, Mom. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, all you Hoodoo Thunkers. Catch you next week and for the next Fright Fest episode.